building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Good morning and welcome back to The Art of Entrepreneurship. Today, I am interviewing Adrizio de la Cruz on grit and stoicism. Of course, we got into the soft skills of starting, funding, and exiting a company, as we always do. Adrizio is the first Latino Y Combinator visiting partner, and he sold his fintech startup Arcus to MasterCard after running it for nearly a decade. And he just has a really freaking incredible story of overcoming challenges and imposter syndrome and getting to where he was going. He calls himself the underdog founder, and we're going to give a little preview of his book that just came out by the time this episode is published. So it's being released on September 19th. Thank you so much for listening and tune in for this really educational and inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. You have an incredible story. I was reading through your background and the emails that Irene sent me to get you booked, and you founded a payments as a service platform, secured funding. You got some huge freaking customers on board and eventually exited the company. And I have so many questions about your journey. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, first, I think probably a common question. Tell me where you got the idea for your company. And I guess 1B is I think that a lot of founders want to build companies that that serve everyone. Like I talk to a lot of businesses every day that are like, oh, our, our company could be used by anyone. And then they kind of end up serving no one. So tell me where you got the idea and how you chose the audience that you were going to sell to. Certainly. So a little bit about myself. I actually grew up uh, in Dominican Republic. Uh, my first startup, quote unquote, was uh, selling guavas in front of my house. Oh, I love that. Uh, so I immigrated uh, from the Dominican Republic to Harlem when I was 11. Went to high school there. Uh, experienced a lot of tough things uh, very early. Uh, so I just had the mindset of trying to escape my current environment. Uh, wanted to become a, a fighter pilot, joined the Air Force and dropped out of the Air Force to help my parents make ends meet. Uh, and throughout that time, I just kept sending money back home. Uh, I, I became an airplane mechanic, uh, and I did that for six years. Uh, and now, then I went back to school, and I finished school at age 25, uh, much older than most people. And and I was still sending money back home when I pivoted careers from being an aircraft mechanic to becoming uh, an investment banker, which is a huge change for me. It's a complete one. Yeah. Yeah. And when I finally pivoted to investment banking, I, I then got the opportunity to go to, to business school at the Wharton School. And afterwards, I, I felt really empowered to just do something major. And I wanted to really help people like me. And because I had since been sending money home to my grandmother and my aunt who raised me, uh, and I noticed that that process hadn't really evolved since I had immigrated to the States in the 90s. Uh, I came up with a concept. The original concept was change remittances. Uh, instead of sending cash, you could pay their fa- your family's bills from abroad. 
uh, and that concept was called Regali. Uh, I took that concept uh, to Y Combinator. I got funded by Y Combinator, then couldn't raise initially, and then wound up raising $3 million. Uh, but about a year later, uh, I fell flat on my face <laughs> uh, and completely pivoted the business away from uh, B2C bill pay to, uh, to what ultimately became uh, Arcus, uh, a B2B bill uh, payments uh, service uh, infrastructure that we sold to MasterCard in 2021. Yeah. What was the pivot like between B2C and B2B and how different are the audiences to sell to? It was hell on earth. <laughs> uh, at YC, we, we had this uh, nomenclature called uh, the uh, Professoro. That's when at the beginning you hit a, a peak uh, euphoria and you never ever get to that peak again. Mm-hmm. You hit the bottom and you stay at the bottom for the next seven to 10 years. Uh, and it's quite amusing how often that happens and founders see it and they say to themselves, that's everybody else. That's not me. And little do they know, that's the path of the successful ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones that fail don't even get back up. Um, so yeah, that's what happened to us. We pivoted uh, and it took us a long time to figure out who the market is. Because initially the, the market was a B2C, was a uh, traditional immigrant working two jobs, sending money back home. And then it, tri- it gradually became, you know, SMB, small small businesses, then startups, then ultimately enterprise. Uh, you know, and Arcus, you know, today uh, it, it's used by virtually every bank and fintech in Latin America, from you know Walmart to BBVA to City, uh, Santander. I mean, you name it. Every bank that exists, every financial services company that exists in Mexico, runs on Arcus today. Uh, but to get there, it was a ten year journey. Of a lot of sacrifices and a lot of luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's actually one of my questions. There are so many companies that are like, okay, I'm going to start this product or this service and then I'm going to sell it to Walmart or 7 Eleven or whatever large enterprise it is. And then we will have that attractive price tag and we'll be making revenue. But I don't think people realize exactly how hard it is to crack into and to sell to those companies because you have to find the right people and they're getting pitched all the time. And you have to sell to large committees of buyers and it can take years. And a lot of founders don't realize that they might actually be broke by the time they secure those deals. What do you say to those that want to go right after those enterprise deals? That's exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head. You might be broke by the time you get that deal. <laughs> I think it's, it's the, I call it kind of this, this Moby Dick analogy where you go chasing the big white whale and it may steer you into parts of the ocean that you may not get back from. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the issue with uh targeting enterprise especially at early stage is what enterprise they're not going to just take your product off the shelf if they even pay attention to you big if so if they pay attention to you they will likely like a customized version of your product so they're not looking at you like a service provider they're looking at you as a consultant that can build tech to serve their needs right uh so so the big danger there is that you wind up shifting and modifying your product to fit this one customer 
that may only fit that customer. It may only fit a Walmart, but it may not fit an Amazon, right? So I think that's one of the big dangers. And the other aspect is I think you we we founders, we underestimate all the pieces that have to go right in order for the for the big company to get it to give you an okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the other aspect is that you know these big companies are revolving doors. Your your champion may leave by the time your deal is up for approval, uh, which happened to us a lot. Uh, so so it's all these factors that that happen, and that's typically why the best typically the best strategy is go incremental. You know, get a proven track record with smaller companies, and at the same time incrementally go to bigger companies. Uh, because you know that those big company contracts are going to take uh, years, not months. Yeah, absolutely. Did you ever experience a scenario where you were building something custom for one of those large companies and got you know so far down the road and then the deal fell through? Oh, yeah, all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. It happened to us a lot of uh, and, and the thing is like enterprise companies are also, I'm talking about big fortune 500 companies. They're also very risk averse. Uh, and typically when you're starting a startup, uh, the number one value you offer is speed. You know, you're, you're quicker to go to market, you're quicker to develop, you're quicker to iterate. And part of speed is making shortcuts. Uh, so if you make some shortcuts and the enterprise uh, notices those shortcuts that may uh, stifle your your ability to execute that agreement. Um, so that that's something that happened to us a lot, right? Um, yeah, that is a tough lesson to learn. I want to back up to your funding because I know that you secured funding from Y Combinator, from City Ventures, from some pretty big names. Did you know how to raise funds, and if not, how did you learn how to do it? I definitely did not, uh, but you know, I luckily enough, I had a, a finance background. I had an MBA from a good school, and I, I had just uh, learned a lot about presenting uh, because uh, my accent is decent now. It was tougher back back then. Uh, uh, funny enough, I actually got into stand up comedy as a way to improve my ability to present. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and that helped me a lot in terms of uh, uh, you know, pronunciation. Uh, how do I project? How do I command the audience? How do I listen to the audience? How do I interact with the audience? So those factors helped me a lot. Uh, but the aspects that took me a longer time to really understand was all of the aspects of fundraising and how to run a, a fundraising process. Uh, and how to actually stack certain investor meetings in a particular way to maximize your chances for success. So th- those things are, n- are not written uh, that, that no one tells you. So I actually wound up r- writing kind of a, a, a five-part essay on, on the process. Oh, amazing. I would love to link to that in the show notes if you send it to me, because I think people would be very interested in that. So let's talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, because I think that a lot of people would get into those rooms and be terrified. I know 10 years ago when I started my company, I was terrified walking into every single room, whether I was speaking, whether I was just networking. I always felt like I didn't belong there because I was a new founder and I was young and you know, I kind of didn't, I just didn't feel like I 
belonged. So how did you overcome that when you were building your company and raising funds? And do you still feel it today? That's a great question. Uh, so I, I think back then, uh, I, I was kind of uh, blessed and cursed with the feeling of naivete, mm -hmm. where I just didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, and I definitely felt a, a sense of imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I started a company when the, the concept of diversity in tech was non-existent, where yep. I was always the only person that looked like me. Not sometimes, always. <laughs> uh, at YC, uh, coming out of YC, every investor meeting, I heard all kinds of like pre-woke comments around my accent, where I came from, that would definitely not fly today. Uh, so I definitely felt every layer of imposter syndrome. I think my approach and attitude was, uh, I, I am privileged to be where I am. Uh, these are just obstacles in the way. And, uh, and rather than like make me angry, I just let it fuel me and propel me forward. I felt like, wow, if I'm the only person in the room, I have the power to change that. If I succeed and you know, the best revenge is massive success, right? So I I focus on how to get massive success. Uh, and, you know, 10 years later, the, the, the landscape has changed. Uh, but even now, when I talk to the VCs, it's, it's a different, though it's different, you still see the same kind of aspects of it. It's just people are more aware of, yeah. of differences in diversity, where diversity was non-existent 10 years ago in tech. Yeah. It's definitely not something that's been resolved. I mean, it might have been new 10 years ago and things don't fly today that did 10 years ago. Even mm -hmm. even watching some TV shows and reading articles and stuff from 10 years ago, you know, it, some of the stuff that was published back then would not fly today. However, just because there's more of a focus on it doesn't mean it's uncomfortable. Doesn't mean you're still not one of the only um, you know, founders of color or women in some of these rooms. Um, so I definitely, I mean, I still feel imposter syndrome because it's like every time you get to that next challenge, then, or every time you get to the next level, then there's a new challenge and the challenges that are behind you. Well, those are easy to solve because you've already figured it out. However, mm -hmm. there are new ones that are in front of you, like the book that you're about to publish, which congratulations. I'm very excited for you. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I am publishing a book called The Other Dog Founder, which kind of uh, tells my journey from the time I, I sold Guayabas in, in Abadi in Santo Domingo to the time I, I, I sold my startup to MasterCard in 2021. Yeah, I have a preview for the book here, and it says it covers the seven principles for rising above racism, poverty, imposter syndrome, and every imaginable and unimaginable startup obstacle. I'd love to hear just a little preview of what is going to be published and when is it coming out? It's coming out September 19th. Uh, and the reason I, I wrote the book is because I, like many founders, have read many books about startups from the icons from it, Paul Graham, Steve Jobs, Ben Horowitz, you know, Musk, you name it. However, those folks don't talk down or look like I do. They never walk through the path that people like me walk through. Right. So I wanted to write a book for that population specifically. Uh, and and not, a, not a book of, around victimization, but 
how do you become a victor? How do you turn the obstacles and turn them, them and turn them into launch pad? Yep. One, of, one of the things I cover in the book and one of the lessons is, is cultivate grit. And in, in that lesson, I talk about uh, the power of stoicism. You know, there's a quote by Marcus Aurelius that says, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Uh, and when I read that quote uh, right before we exited the company, uh, I was in a very dark place in my life. You know, my wife and I had just, you know, had a miscarriage. I lost my grandmother. Uh, I was temporarily fired from my own company as well. Uh, but I decided to come back in. And then that quote helped me reframe a lot of the obstacles that I was facing at that point in time. Because at the end of the day, you know, emotions are just energy. Mm-hmm. Was that negative or positive? What you choose to do with that energy will completely change your life. Yes. Whether you choose to kind of crumble in a corner and cry about it, or you choose to let it propel you forward. Um, so I thought that's one of the key topics that I talk about amongst several others. I love that concept so much. That is probably the last handful of years in my entrepreneurial journey. One of the biggest things that I have worked on because I was 10 years ago when I started this company, a pretty emotional person and learning about stoicism and just learning about how to channel your emotions into something positive and into something that works for you instead of being that victim become or going from being a victim into a victor is one of the the big things that I think about talk about on this podcast so I think that's why it was such a good fit I'm really excited to read your book where can people get it they can go to my website right now to get a preview of the book uh, it's edriciodelacruz.com amazing I will put all the information about you where to get in touch with you and the book in the show notes for everyone that's listening Okay. So I have one final question and it's that we discussed a lot, a ton of different topics today from starting a company to fundraising, to enterprise sales, imposter syndrome, and your book. What is your biggest takeaway from this conversation? I think my biggest takeaway is the fact that uh, we all have obstacles uh, in in our way, you know, and, and, and the pain that you get from those obstacles it's temporary. It can last a day, a minute, or even a year, but mm-hmm. eventually it'll subside. But if you quit, it'll last a lifetime. Yep. So, and that's why I think it's, it's good to have a healthy relationship with the pain that comes to the obstacles that come in your way. Once you have that frame of mind, it'll not only let you react quicker and faster, but it'll just make you more confident and it'll dramatically enhance your chances of success in whatever endeavor you pursue. Mm, I love that. It is possible to turn your pain into power. Also something that I think about and talk about all the time. I love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Everyone go and check out Adrizio's new book. We're very excited about it. And if you got value out of this episode, please share it with just one person that needs to hear our message today or who should check out the book. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. 